Welcome to The Queerness, an LGBTQ podcast produced by San Francisco Pride from our studios overlooking the most beautiful city in the cosmos. I'm your host, Peter Astrid Kane, and today I'm really pleased to reveal that we have not one guest, but four. Trans activists Levi Maxwell, Jojo Tai, Rexy Tapia, and my SF Pride colleague, Shannon, all of whom are collaborating on a new trans-focused business called Fluid Cooperative Cafe in the Tenderloin. Thank you all for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. So excited to be here. First, I think we need to go around and get a little bit of background on everybody's years of activism. Shannon, since we know that you have several decades of hard work under your belt, we are going to start with you. Um, well, yes, I am uh, Shannon, a.k.a. Just Shannon on most social media platforms. Um, I am a staff member here at San Francisco Pride. Um, and I also do a lot of community work. Uh, over the years, it's been with the Castro Merchants, the Castro LGBTQ Cultural Club, Trans March, uh, Trans Day of Visibility, and Trans March, uh, uh, Trans Day of Remembrance, which is where I met all of these folks. That's wonderful. Um, and I also am on the steering committee for the San Francisco Bay Area Queer Nightlife Fund. Rexy, the one and only Rexy. I'm going to say that the first time I ever heard your name was probably four years ago when I was at SF Weekly because my amazing colleague, Nula Sawyer, wrote a profile about you that we ran as a cover story. What have you been up to since then? <laughs> what haven't I been up to? Um, well, I recently started uh, taking, uh, I became the new chair for Trans Visibility, Trans March, and Trans Remembrance. I also worked a lot with several companies during this past a year to work on a lot of racial inclusivity work and racial equity work. Um, yeah, and I'm still doing my thing, performing wherever I can. That's fantastic. Jojo has been patiently on a Zoom call while we got our act together all afternoon. So it's only fair that we let Jojo have the floor for an extended period of time. Jojo, you're a big wheel down at APINC, but we know you do a lot of other things. Tell us. Yeah, thank you, Pete. Um, I first got my start in community organizing at Lyric when I was 16, 17 years old. From there, I was transitioned into youth commissioner. So I served as a district eight appointee and representative in City Hall. I did that from 2018 to 2020. And now I'm a member of the Trans Advisory Committee underneath the Office of Transgender Initiatives. That's fantastic. Good for you. Levi, we know that you sit on the board of the Castro Cultural District. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about what you've been up to. Yeah, I mean, before the Castro Cultural District, she's been here. She's been doing things. She's been doing everything. Um, I am a former runaway that came to San Francisco. My family has been here for three generations, and um, I've been causing a storm. My main focus has been on the mindfulness practice as well as the economic incentive and support of homeless LGBT young people in San Francisco. Um, I later moved into the San Francisco LGBT Center, working primarily with homeless and or refugee and or low income LGBT young adults in San Francisco. I also was on the Lyric um, uh, internship. I also am in nightlife and help try to cultivate a more racially gender and just kind of like sexually 
fluid, expansive, and open kind of space, getting several people fired, as well as creating a number of event spaces that facilitated and supported um, a more radicalized queer experience. Uh, San Francisco's changing. It's no longer the 1960s. Um, there's more to this world than the queens who run the things that exist for us now. So let's talk about Fluid. How did this come about? Why are you doing this now? Jojo. Well, it's been way too long. And for us, the transgender, gender non-conforming, gender non-binary communities, people be waiting for a space for us. San Francisco is highly regarded as the home and birthplace of the queer and trans liberation movement. But San Francisco has yet to put where its money where its mouth is. And I think right now in the year 2021 is the right time for us to start this mission with our vision of finally having a home for us and welcomes all of us, not just the TGNC community, not just the queer community. That's fantastic. However, you're on an accelerated timeline. This is happening very, very quickly. Why is that? After we're coming out of... Um, out of quarantine and spaces are starting to open up more and more. We're going to need spaces that are more than just bars or restaurants for our community together. Um, we're going to need places for our youth to come back together. Over this quarantine, we've seen more and more youth coming out and looking for community. We're seeing that on social media, but there's not really spaces for them to gather. So, there's an, there's a there's been this need for a space that you can just come together, an inclusive space for all. That's a place where you can just sit and relax, and youth can interact with each other and organize or just share some laughter. Really becoming the place we've all been yearning for. Um, because I, I remember Rexy back when she was a young little thing at Lyric and JoJo when they were coming of age. But it's like there, there is a dark, like an absolute dearth of, of spaces where young people can not only be queer, but express themselves in a way that is similar to what you'd find in a club that's safe and accessible. Um, there, I, I'm working with someone by the name of Jen Rack, who's with the, who's um, kind of like a, a community um, a stakeholder. And like they were showing, talking about studies, there's a 32% increase in alcohol consumption due to COVID that's impacts specifically LGBTQ communities. The idea of a sober space that is queer focused, but open to all um, is, is important right now where, where folks feel increasingly isolated and feel that their way of socializing is around a substance. I imagine a space in which there are young people who can't go into the clubs that can go do a Vogue ball that can walk a category, you know, people who can do drag performances and not feel the need to have to, you know, fake an ID or, or, or wear enough makeup that they can use anyone else's ID and not get caught up. Cause we've all been there, sis. Um, you know, I know damn well, I've used IDs of people who look nothing like me and I'm like, I'm trans. <laughs> it's like, how dare you to get my way in? And I want there to be a lower threshold. I want there to be um, a, a lower stake, and I just want people to accessibly be able to find spaces where they can discover themselves, express themselves, and find people who affirm them. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge that the area of the city that you have chosen is the Tenderloin, and the reason that the transgender district is there to begin with 
is because Compton's cafeteria was basically the opposite of what Fluid Cooperative Cafe is intended to be, with the understanding that it is not just for the trans and gender non-conforming and non-binary community to patronize, although it is run by that community, it's for everyone. You know, the whole reason that this was here is because of exclusionary practices and people were not allowed. So what you're saying seems like it's trying to right a historical wrong. Yeah. Not to put too much pressure on you. I'm two doors down from, the tra- from Compton's cafeteria. I, I live in the heart of the Transgender Cultural District. I, I, when I ran away to San Francisco, I was thrown into the, the what is now the Transgender Cultural District in the Tenderloin because that's where all of us who are considered disposable in society were put. While I do believe that there is a focus that needs to be had on the Transgender Cultural District, I think that it's also important that we be open to all opportunities and all spaces that are available to us, because I know if we build it, they will come wherever we may be. Um, the spirit of Compton's Cafeteria um, that is, is that we will gather anywhere, because Compton's itself had trans patrons and gender variant patrons, but did not want them. And we forget with the Compton's Cafeteria riots, it was the fact that the, the staff did not want and did not like the company that they kept. I think other than like caring about the transgender cultural district, but like the, the neighborhood itself is only a reflection of where societal refuse goes. And I do not believe that I'm trash. I don't believe that trans people are trash. I think that we're gold and anyone who wants us to be in their space and have in their space and for us to eventually buy that space is to recognize us as a value and assets and ultimately a goal. Um, because you know, where we go, everyone else will follow. I'm always looking for co-conspirators. If you guys have a space, let me know. I think your confidence is infectious. Did you want to add something, Shannon? We've watched over the last 10 years a complete decline in the amount of queer-owned businesses and spaces. Um, We've lost Divas. We've lost The Stud. um, And I don't think that there is a bigger political act than putting your foot down and saying, this is ours. Um, so I think, I think the urgency is, is why we're doing it now. It feels like life or death. My home is the Excelsior district and not many people think of the Excelsior district as part of San Francisco. It's really working class, a lot of brown and immigrant workers, but you know, I'm here, there's trans people here and trans people will be everywhere. And if we create this space, you know, we will come and all of our friends and family will come to support us. Let's talk a little bit more about the programming that you have in mind. We spoke about drag balls, voguing, but is there more? I, one of the things that I really am excited for is also one of the things I've always wanted to see, and I see it on like movies all the time, which is, you know, cafes that do poetry nights and having all the queers just snapping and all that. And so that's definitely something I want to bring in. Um, one of my huge emphasis is also youth programming. Because I also grew up here in, in doing youth programming. I grew up going to the Lyric Youth Dances. Um, and I have my own programming that I've been doing for a long time, which is Dragtivism, um, a youth drag conference. Um, so we definitely want to have provide a space for youth to do drag and do elevate their art, right? So we want to be a space for artists to create Um, as well as we want to invest back in our community and teach them what we're learning about opening up a business and teach them what we're learning about financial literacy and all of that. So we want to host workshops as well that are going to support our community, that are going to um, give access to 
financial freedom and give access to education and also have a fun night, whether it's a poetry night, whether it's a ball, whether it's a drag show, that those fun things that we like see are so popular, but can I be there as a trans person and not worry about someone misgendering me or someone telling me that, or like someone look at me weird or can I bring my like date here and they won't feel like weird, but I can be there present without having to think, am I safe? Am I welcome? Coffee has had kind of a revolution in the way people think about it. You know, 50 years ago, it was just this utilitarian beverage that you had two cups of in the morning and went about your day. And now people pay attention to where things are sourced and whether the beans are fair trade or organic or not. And there's just been a gradually ever-increasing understanding that this is a place, a site of social justice and exploitation and people need to be much more discriminating in how they choose what they drink. Are you giving any thought to who you might be partnering with or is it too early? So I actually, when I first came to San Francisco, uh, connected myself to Hayes Valley Farm. Uh, Beforehand, I was um, a forager and a food educator, um, a food activist that was mostly trying to to, to create uh, an accessible way for people to get healthy, organic foods in our shelters. So I actually organized ways for people to get food that would otherwise be thrown away from farmers markets and then putting them putting that food those fruits those vegetables into shelters and uh, homeless youth programs in San Francisco that I was a part of sourcing is is really important collaborating with people um, that are that are mindful of workers rights or are, are is very important to me understanding what it is to be a trans person and a queer person and, and, and a black person being exploited in, in, in all the economic systems that we're in, creates um, a space for me to be more mindful and supportive of, of workers everywhere who, who provide the, the base needs that make civilization possible. Um, and I have been thinking about where are we going to source the coffee? I think the, the question becomes like, you know, who can we collaborate with? I was curious to know if there is a collection of, of trans or women owned or minority run cooperative spaces um, in the global south in which coffee is cultivated. But then the question then becomes cost. What sort of ways are we able to mitigate the, the ways in which we're all kind of being screwed over by the system while also being mindful of the ways um, that, that we can create the solutions that we need in a system that does not have us in mind. So I got my, co- I got my start in coffee in San Francisco, actually, in uh, 2006, when I started as a barista at the Hayes Valley Blue Bottle uh, location. And then three years later, um, after you know, going through an extensive amount of, of coffee training and then becoming a coffee roaster, um, I then had opinions about coffee and where coffee was, you know, headed and how it was doomed to failure, um, the larger and larger the spaces um, became like, you know, when do you need a 4000 square foot cafe for your, you know, palace of roasting? I don't know if that's necessary, Um, (laughs) especially at that time where it was it was a movement away from the interactions that you have at the counter and with patrons um, I, you know, I remember walking into a well-known cafe where every single person was on a laptop with their headphones on. And I was like, this is, this is not, this is not what coffee is. After lots of lamenting publicly, uh, there was a friend of mine who suggested that maybe it was time that I open up my own cafe. And so, 
In 2009, I opened a cafe in Lower, Lower Knob Hill with uh, two other members, and it's called Farm Table. It's still there to this day. Uh, I had the opportunity to partner with a coffee roaster based out of Oakland um, and was able to have uh, our own line of coffee. So you know we're going to have good coffee. It's going to be lit. It's going to be the best. Our, our food and coffee program is going to be very ethically sourced and all about collaboration. And I'm also going to be bougie. I lived on my friend's farm in Maui where I cultivated, roasted, and produced coffee myself. So I'm just kind of like, there's not going to be, this, this is, you know, there's no Folgers in this cup. Be aware of that. You know, the worst part of waking up is Folgers. <laughs> Some, <laughs> someone else's cup. So this is going to be, this is going to be bougie, ratchet, just in the best ways possible. Yeah. And then I think going on that, right, when we're also creating our menu, we're thinking culturally, right? We're thinking about seasoning, exactly. So we're we're a, we're a like very diverse group of people. But I like for me, the coffee I drink it's not the same that others grew up drinking, right? Because I grew up in Mexico. I grew up drinking cafe de olla. I drink. A, I grew up drinking that before going to bed. I didn't grow up drinking that in the morning. That was like wild to me. Are many not just being iced coffee, iced macchiato, but cafe de olla and like different uh, drinks that we grew up with as well. So all around, there's intention to every single detail that we're going to be putting together. I'm here to, to get you that jolt of energy and I'm down. Like, I mean, I drink cafe du, Mo like, du monde, which is like a New Orleans style I mean, New Orleans style coffee, Cafe Del Monde is like the famous spot. Yeah. It's like chicory in coffee. And if you talk to most people about some roasted root being thrown into your coffee, I think a lot of people, you know, coffee people would shriek in horror. But, you know, it's like I'm here to support folks and what they want and what they need. I'm also interested in creating cute Instagram pictures of food and flavors because, like, you know, I, I worked at the Cafe Gratitudes. I worked at, like, the, the places that will give you flavor, give you substance, give you nourishment, and then also give you a cute picture. I, and we all are kind of dedicated on giving people not just this mediocre thing and a group of trans people are making it happen and, like, good for them. I don't want your pity. Um, I want your applause. Right. I want your awe. Ooh, I'm about to applaud right now. <laughs> Damn. We're going to break out into a sweat. I, I think it's probably safe to say that there are, do you know of other trans-run coffee places elsewhere in America? There is. I actually talked to a dear friend of mine, Yochaved. If you're hearing this, Yochaved, I love you. There was a there was a, a cooperative that was founded in Gainesville, Florida, Orlando, Florida, that was not initially trans-run, but over time they they overthrew the they over, regime. They, they overthrew it. But they ultimately, like, this is the first time in which we have a, a trans-founded cooperative cafe. I guess to connect what all of you all said, you know, food and drink is such a, a strong pillar into culture and community. And with fluid, you know, I hope when someone walks in, they know what the fluid is, the culture, its vibe, its energy. Again, this is not opening in a vacuum, right? You're working in partnership with Aria Saeed and the Transgender District. What has the district done to help you out? So late last year, in late 2020, I've participated in the Trans District's <laughs> Entrepreneur Incubator Program for two months. So they partner up with another organization that has 
kind of walked us and did some classes on us and what it means to be an entrepreneur. Uh, the Trans District has also connected us with photographers. They connected us with Code Tenderloin, which is a local organization teaching folks how to code in Tenderloin to set up our website, as well as they set up a cute like photo and video shoot day so we can like record all of our stuff for social medias and promotions and so on. That's fantastic. And they, they gave you some seed money, I think, right? Yes, they gave us a seed money of 3K to start up and with all of our starting up costs. It's, it's part of a business incubator program that the district is running because one of their goals, obviously, is to have and sustain more trans-run businesses within the footprint. Since it's, you know, through virtually, there's folks who are in the Midwest, in Southern California, and so on, and they're able to collaborate and talk through all, all, all of our different ideas. People are starting their own clothing lines, their own like bakery, business, and they're also their own production kind of studio. Yeah, I want to ask you, like, we're, we seem to be coming toward what looks like tentatively the end of the pandemic. And hopefully we're all filled with a sense of optimism about the San Francisco that can emerge. You know, where would you want to see, what, what is the tenderloin of 2022? What does it look like to you? It looks like a party. The streets are full. They're closed. We are, we've got stages. We've got vendors. We've got trans folks from all over the world partying on the street. I also see a lot less of a police presence. They're not our allies. They're not our friends. We know this. Um, and I want to see our community, like, being able to be present, just being able to dance their hearts away and um, being able to come every morning and just get their coffee if they need their coffee and stroll through the beautiful, historic, like, landmarks that are in the Tenderloin. We wouldn't be able to be here as queer trans people without the work that was laid out for us by great activists at Compton's Cafeteria. So I want it to be a full circle moment. First, we weren't wanted here, but now this is our home. Beautiful. No, and like for me, I want the Tenderloin to remain ethnic for everyone, but ethnic. Because Mm -hmm. uh, as I said earlier, the Tenderloin was a place where the refuse of San Francisco was placed. And oftentimes when you think of the Tenderloin, we think of people who are active substance users. We think of people who are in the sex trades. We think of people who are miscreants. We think of, you know, all these things, but guess what? There's still people. And guess what? It's also filled with people who are refugees, immigrants, people who who are, are, are seen as disposable individuals. And what I want to see is a neighborhood that is able to understand their worth and it can turn into another bougie area. I don't want a trans space to, to be deemed as acceptable in the way that like some people feel like they're not worthy of being in there. My transition over the 10 years of seeing Tenderloin has been people feeling like, I don't think I have a right to be in this space. And I'm like, girl, it's right off Polk and Post. Like, no shade. <laughs> I know my roots. You have every right to be there. You have every right to be loud. And you have every right to be as queer as possible. That's fantastic. I wholeheartedly endorse 
every element of this beautiful vision that you have laid out today. And I would like to add two things, one, a thriving Aunt Charlie's, and two, the permanent closure of the private prison that now sits above the former Compton's, Gene Compton's cafeteria. This has been The Queerness, a production of San Francisco Pride, conceived and co-produced by my ever-astonishing colleagues, RJB, Chris, and Shannon. This episode featured trans activists Levi Maxwell, Jojo Tai, Rexy Tapia, and that very same Shannon. Our theme music was composed by La Frida. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else, and we strongly encourage you to like and subscribe. I'm your sickening host, Peter Astrid Kane, reminding you to be safe, but stay dangerous. See you next time.